This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. The title this morning is this, Quit Going Back to Egypt. Quit Going Back to Egypt. And you're like, well, I've never even been to Egypt. Well, let's talk for a minute here and we'll explain this. Um, in the Old Testament, maybe you're familiar with some of the Old Testament, God brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Now, they had been slaves there for 400 years, 400 years of slavery. And God, as you know, uses this man, Moses, to come and deliver the people uh, from the evil Pharaoh and from from all the terrible things that they were going through. I mean, it had been a bad place. And so Egypt in the Bible and in our discussion today, it represents a place of the world. It represents a place of bondage, depression, sin, sorrow, and a lot of other awful things that we've gone through. And so a lot of us in here today, listen, we were in Egypt. We were in slavery to the things of this world. Somebody else oppressed us and somebody else held us back for a really long time. And that applies to everybody in here. Nobody in here was just born perfect enough and already born a born again Christian from the time you were born. Everybody in here. In fact, Peter put it this way. He said, you are a slave to whatever controls you. And so I don't want anybody, I don't want anything controlling me other than Jesus Christ. But there have been points in my life where other things have controlled me, whether it's been my emotions, whether it's been another person, whether it's been something else. There have been times where other forces, other things in my life were the ones directing my steps and it wasn't God Almighty. And I'm telling you this, I've been in Egypt and I am not going back for anything. There's nothing that this world has. There's nothing that I left in Egypt that I can't do without. I'm going to the heavens, man. I am going uh, to the to the kingdom of heaven. I'm not going back to Egypt. But the truth of the matter is this, is that the children of Israel, strangely, after they were delivered, they started looking back because they thought it was just going to be a cakewalk. And some people are like, well, I I said a prayer, so that means life's going to be easy from here on out. And so the people, the children of Israel, they start looking back after they've been delivered and saying, well, you know, it wasn't that bad back there. I mean, at least we had this and at least we had this. And they literally start looking back to their oppression. They start looking back to the people that beat them for 400 years and said, maybe it was better back there than doing things God's way. Maybe it was better. At least we knew what was coming every day. And I'm telling you, we laugh now, but there's Christians that I see in 2018 that God delivered them from oppression, from bondage to the devil. And for whatever reason, they start looking back and say, well, those I remember the good old days back in the day. Well, I was a good fighter. Whoa, nobody messed with me. Everyone. Why would you look back on that? You know what you sound like to me? You sound like an idiot. I'm not impressed that you were a good fighter before you came to the Lord. I'm not impressed that you could drink more than anybody else. You could smoke more than anybody else. And you're looking back on that mess that God delivered you from and saying, I know, I mean, I'm not doing that anymore, but those were the days, man, right back there. Those weren't the days. You were going to hell. Those weren't the days. You were a fool. You were in bondage, man. Your life was a mess. Your kids hated you. Your wife hated you. You were a mess. And you're going to look back to Egypt because you had one rough day out here? Don't look back to Egypt ever. That's what the devil had for you, man. And I'm telling you, God's ways are always better, but it's not always the easy way. But it is always better. And so I want to show you something here in Isaiah chapter 30. Let's look at Isaiah 30. Amen. All right. Hey, we're going to wake this crowd up today. You guys are going to get something from God. Today is your day. It is not a mistake that you came to church today. Isaiah chapter 30. 
And I'm telling you what, there, there is nothing that this world has that I have no interest. I look at Hollywood. I look at, you know, the, the famous places of this world. There's not a single thing that they have that I want. I don't want my marriage to be like theirs. I don't want my, I don't want my kids to be like theirs. I don't want my life to be like this world says it should be because they're a stinking mess. They are a mess out there. I do not want to live like them. Isaiah chapter 30, verses 1 through 5, it says this. What sorrow awaits my rebellious children, says the Lord. You make plans that are contrary to mine. You make alliances not directed by my spirit, thus piling up your sins. Now, some people here today, you may have you may have been in some alliances that were not directed by God. Verse two says, for without consulting me, you have gone down to Egypt for help. You have put your trust in Pharaoh's protection. You have tried to hide in his shade. But by trusting Pharaoh, you'll be humiliated. And by depending on him, you will be disgraced. For though his power extends to Zoan and his officials have arrived in Hanes. Now, I'm not talking about underwear. This isn't a fruit of the loom Hanes discussion. They literally arrived in a place called Hanes. Anyway, all who trust in him will be ashamed. He will not help you. Instead, he will disgrace you. And so God's saying it right here to his people. He's saying, I what's going on? What's up? You're going out and making alliances. You're hooking yourself up with people that are totally contrary to me. You're, you're going to Egypt for help. I thought I was your helper. You call me God, but you think Egypt, you think Pharaoh. And in our day and age, I could say, so you say that God's your savior. You say that Jesus is the one for you. Yet you're going to everybody else looking for help. You're asking everybody else for answers except for Jesus. What's up with that? We've all done it. We've all done it. But I'm saying, what's up with that? Why? He's the one that delivered us. He's the one that healed us. He's the one that gave us another chance, not them. And we're going to go to them for help. They're more screwed up than we are. I'm not going to Egypt. I'm not going to this world for any answers. I am going to God. And he said it right there, verse 5, all that trust in him, all that go to the world, they're going to be humiliated. They're going to be disgraced because this world, they will get what they want from you and then they'll turn their back on you and stab you. Listen, that is not the will of God for your life. That is not God's plan. That is not what God wants. He's saying, follow me. Sometimes the road's hard, but guess what? It's always the right way and it's always going to lead to blessing for you when you do things his way. Amen. And so let's go ahead and pray and get into our message today. God's going to speak to your heart. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that you have provided an answer book to every test that we will ever come across in this life. Lord, we ask today that as we open the word, as we listen to you, that you will speak to each person here. Lord, you know what we need to hear. You know what we are facing today. Speak to us. Change us, Lord, even if it's not what we want to hear. Tell us the truth. Because the truth will set us free. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. And so I'm just examining some different areas, maybe in my life, possibly your life, where maybe I have gone to the world and you have gone to the world instead of going to where you needed to go. And so I'm going to say, quit going back to Egypt, number one, for advice. Quit going back to Egypt for advice and for counsel. They don't need to be telling you how to live your life. They don't have any answers that you need. And so we were looking in Isaiah 30. I'm going to look at verse 1 again in the Living Bible this time. In the Living Bible, it says this, Woe to my rebellious children, says the Lord. You ask advice from everyone but me and decide what to, and decide to do what I don't want you to do. You yoke yourselves with unbelievers, thus piling up your sins. And so I know people, maybe you know people, maybe you are one of those people where you ask everybody for advice except for God. You go to your drunk cousin and ask him how to raise kids. And his kids hate him. Why would you do that? You go to your aunt that's been divorced five times and ask her for marriage advice. Why? Obviously something is going wrong there. 
Listen, you look to, you look to Hollywood, you watch movies and romance movies and novels on how to find love. Those people are screwed up. I don't want my life to be like theirs. They have no good advice. Why would you want that? But it's the truth, man. I see people every day. They're going over here. Man, what do you think I should do with my kids? I don't know. Let me just vent to you for a while. Why are you venting to them? They're a loser. I'm not being mean. But why do you want their advice? Why do you want their input on how to raise your kids? Listen, all the answers you need are right here in the Word of God. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. Listen, the answers are right here, but why are we going to everybody else except for him for advice? That makes no sense whatsoever. And I've been guilty of it, but check it out. That always ends in frustration. It always ends in heartache and it never turns out well. Who are you going to for your counsel? Look at your life right now. Who is it that you're going to talk to? Is it your friends that don't even go to church? I mean, maybe you're going to good people, and it's fine to have wise counselors. The book of Proverbs says that that it's good to have godly counselors and to get good advice and wisdom. But are the people that you are sharing your issues with, are the people that you are turning to for advice, are they godly or are they fools? Maybe you like them a lot, but that doesn't make them godly. That doesn't mean they're giving you sound advice. Maybe you're going to Egypt for something that you should be going to God for. Maybe you're turning to Egypt for answers that only God has. And you're wondering why you're still fighting the exact same battle. You've been fighting for 20 years and there's been no signs of progress whatsoever. You've made no progress, not one ounce. Why is that? Is it because you're turning to Egypt instead of to God? And it says sorrow awaits that. There's nothing but sorrow when you do that, let's look at Psalm chapter one. Let's look at Psalm one. We learning anything today. We're going to get somewhere. I believe God's going to speak to you if you'll listen up. Psalm one. We're going to look at the first few verses here. And I, I really enjoy Psalm one because it's one of the first chapters of the Bible that my dad taught to me as a wee lad. I was a little fella. And I remember my dad teaching me Psalm one. But Psalm 1, we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. That's what I'm talking about right there, man. That's I would go to someone like that on how to raise kids, not somebody that has kids that hate them and don't ever go to church. And, and you know, why would you go to somebody like that? I would go to somebody that's teaching their kids the Bible. Anyway, just for whatever it's worth, you just take that and do what you want with it. But I'm just, just going to leave that little gem out there for you. Just meditate on that. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord or they delight in the word of God, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. But what did that first verse say right there? What belongs to those that do not follow the advice of the wicked? It said, oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. And so who in here thinks that joy is something that they would like to have in their life? Then quit following the advice of the wicked. There's no joy in that, man. There's no joy in following the advice of the wicked. It says somebody that instead of going to the wicked for advice, but instead they delight in the law of the Lord, they instead go to the word of God for answers. It says they are like a tree planted beside the riverbank. We studied this verse a couple weeks ago, and it says that person, they bear fruit in every season. They prosper in all that they do. That's a big promise from God because trees in this world were not designed to bear fruit every season. There's a downtime. There's a winter time for every type of tree I've ever seen for, I mean, there's evergreens, but I'm talking about fruit bearing trees, right? Apple trees, after a while, the apples come off and then they don't have any fruit for a while. But the word of God says that instead of going to the wicked, you'll go to God, you'll be fruitful, you'll bear fruit and be productive and blessed in every season of life. To me, that sounds like a very good trade. Trade in the fools and the wicked 
for God and his ways and you get to be blessed every season. I'm telling you, that's a good deal right there. And that's something that maybe today you ought to consider. And so in looking at this, examples of bad advice. Uh, anyone in here, you've ever received some really bad advice? Come on. Yes, you have. Raise your hand. You have. I know you have. So I was looking up a few examples of people that they received bad advice and it dearly cost them. Now, my first story, who likes stories? Let's do story time. Story time with Pastor Dave. Gather around, kids. This first story is about a a man named William Orton. Now, in the 1870s, William Orton was the man. He owned the Western Union Telegraph Company. And at that time, telegraphs, they were the king of modern communication. They were the iPhone 10 of 1875. I mean, you wanted to get something somewhere, you... You telegraphed it over there, and then, you know, they would receive it. And so this guy, he thought, man, dude, I own the future. I've got it made. But one day, a young man, 29-year-old man, comes up and, and presents a patent to him that he was willing to sell to William Orton. This man's name was Alexander Graham Bell. He had invented a, a little device called the telephone, where you could actually talk in a, you know, and, and somebody, you know, a telephone. And so he presents this. He's like, I will sell you all the rights to this patent for a hundred thousand dollars. Now, uh, the, the, the man, uh, Orton, he goes back and talks to his advisor. This kid's got this device. I don't, what do you guys think? I mean, uh, I don't a hundred thousand and this guy's a millionaire. This is a hundred thousands chump change, pocket change, even in the 1870s. And so they decide that this is a foolish little toy that Mr. Bell has made up. And they write this letter back to him and they said, your intention has your invention has no commercial possibilities. What could our company do with an electrical toy? And so Bell decided to go out and just do the, the telephone thing himself. And with, I think two years later, he was worth $25 million. The telephone is the single most valuable patent in the history of the world. And this guy could have had it for $100,000. But he listened to bad advice. And in fact, that Western Union tried to do their own telephone thing, but Bell sued him for uh, infringement, and he won the lawsuit. And so they had, basically, there's they're nothing. But I was thinking of a little bit more of a modern example of bad advice. Does anybody remember a company, anybody... You were alive before the year 2005. Okay, all right, I'll just check it. So we used to have this place. There were stores called Blockbuster. Yeah. It was a brick-and-mortar location where they rented uh, these things called DVDs, or if you're older than that, VHS videos. And uh, so the year was 2000. And a man named Reed Hastings approached the CEO of Blockbuster. He had a new company he had made called Netflix. And so he approaches them and he's like, we're already making money. This is going to be a profitable business. Just whenever I'm telling you, this is the future of the entertainment industry. And so he presents it to the CEO of Blockbuster for $50 million, which sounds like a lot, but it's in this type of thing, it's not. 50 million, we'll just sell you the whole business and get out of it. And he advises with his people, and they come back and say, no, nah, that's, that's, that's not going to go anywhere. When was the last time you went to a blockbuster? <laughs> They're non-existent. But today, as of January of this year, Netflix is worth over $100 billion, and Blockbuster is bankrupt. They could have owned Netflix. They could have been still, think of all the people everywhere. They could have owned Netflix, but they passed up on it because of bad advice. So I'm telling you, I may sound silly, but the truth is, who are you getting your life advice from? A child of God has absolutely no reason or excuse for turning to Egypt on life advice. I'll let you change my oil if you're wicked. I mean, that's fine, but I'm not going to ask you how to raise my kids. I'm not going to ask you to, you know, what I should do with my life. I'm not turning to you if you're wicked. But check it out. A child of God has absolutely no reason or excuse for turning to Egypt on life advice. So who are you turning to for your counsel and your advice? It needs to be God. It needs to be 
godly people, not the wicked. Let's look at point number two today. So you need to quit turning to Egypt for provision. I haven't heard this church this quiet, and I mean, man, in a long time. It's louder than this when I'm in here by myself praying. Wake up! So, quit turning to Egypt and seeing them as your source of provision. Let's look at Exodus chapter 16. Exodus 16. And so, listen. Egypt, we, we all, we gotta, we're in the world, okay? I get that, but we're not of the world. I currently exist on planet Earth, but this is not where I rightfully belong. This is not my permanent home. This is just, a, I'm here for a little bit, but it's not where I'm staying. Amen? I'm on my way to heaven someday, and heaven uh, is where my true citizenship is. I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. But let's look here at Exodus chapter 16. So God has delivered them from Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. God parted the waters in chapter 14. And God has done miracles for them. And man, I just, I think of so many people when I read this story that I've seen people, God has literally delivered them, man, got them out of addictions, got them out of bad relationships. He saved them, healed them and all this stuff. And they end up just like this. I don't get it. But Exodus 16 verses two through three, it says there too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. You mean the guy that got the the people off of you, the guy that delivered you from slavery? They're complaining against him. Verse three. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they said. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. And so here they are, delivered. They've been set free. They've seen God do a miracle. He parts the waters of the Red Sea, but they don't have the food that they're craving. They don't have the food that they wanted. So they're like, we're better off back in Egypt. The meat was delicious over there. Come again? You you would rather go back there where they beat you every day, where they owned you and you couldn't even decide when to go to bed? You'd rather go back there because their food was better? Are you serious? And and it sounds like a joke, but, but I mean, I know people that they turn back to the world for stuff just like this. They turn back to the world. They go back to Egypt after God delivered them from bondage and slavery, yet they start going back. I know, man, but we had some good times back there, man. I mean, we could real. Oh, we, we paid the town red, man. We all the adventures that we had. Really? For real, you're being for real right now. You want to dig up ancient history? You want to dig up those times because things aren't going exactly how you want? That is not worth it, not for one second. But they're looking back there and they're saying, man, back there in Egypt, we had meat, we had bread. Oh, we ate bread every night. Yeah, you got beat every morning when you woke up too. They made you build pyramids, man. You were stacking bricks in the Sahara Desert. And you want to go back because the food was better? I don't think so. That, that has nothing for me, man. Egypt has nothing that I want. But the problem at this point in time was this. Is that the Israelites saw God as their deliverer at this point, but they did not see Him as their provider. Oh, Sure, God will deliver you, man. Man, the food sure was good back there. And that's where a lot of us fall into the same trap because we see Jesus as Savior, but we don't see Him as healer. We don't see Him as provider. We don't see Him as the giver of joy. We don't see Him as the Prince of Peace. We don't see Him as the deluxe package that He really is. Some of us, we put Jesus just in this little box and say, praise the Lord, Jesus is my Savior. But you're depressed. You're sick. You hate your life. You're, you're broke. You, you, you're confused. You don't have answers. You're all over the place. Why is that? Well, it's not Jesus' fault because he's the great I am. He's everything you need. He's the source of peace right there, but you only let him be savior in your life. What I'm presenting for your consideration today is this, is that what if you started seeing Jesus as the deluxe combo that he really is? 
What if you let Jesus supersize your fries for a minute today? What if you let Jesus put some cheese on that Whopper, put a little hot sauce on your taco? What if you let Jesus come in and be everything that he really wants to be? He's my savior. You know what I mean? And so when you don't let Jesus be everything, you start turning to the world to fulfill those needs and those desires. You start seeing, well, uh, I'm going to heaven. I know that much, but man, I, I need this. So, so you start looking, you'll, you'll cheat, rob, steal, do anything you can for money because you don't have a revelation that Jesus is your savior. And I believe in hard work. I get that, but I don't have to work 400 hours a week and break every bone in my body just to survive. That's not the will of God. We be, listen, we're Americans. We work hard, man, and, and we're proud of that. But listen to me. It's not God's will that you have zero time with your kids, that you never see your family. Somebody else raises them because you've got to work every second of every day just to survive. You think that's the blessing of God? That's, not, that's a curse, man. There's nothing good about that at all. Why don't you start seeing Jesus as provider, not just savior? And so look at verse four here. These guys, they bring this up and look what God does, man. I love the blessing of the Lord because his way. Check it out. Verse four. Check it out. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. What? Each day, the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. I'll test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. And so. Listen, God starts raining down food from heaven every single day. They called it manna. And they didn't have to go out and, 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 and break their backs for it. They didn't have to go out and beg on the streets for it. Spare some change for the Israelites just so we could feed our kids today. They didn't have to beg. They didn't have to kill themselves. They didn't have to suffer. God just brought in the provision. And you're like, well, I've never seen food fall from the sky. Listen. You've, have you ever turned to Jesus to be your provider? He'll bring in food. I don't care if it falls from the sky or if somebody drops, whatever, man. I'm not going to tell God how to do his job, but I am going to say this. Jesus, you are my provider. Jehovah Jireh shall provide all my needs. My God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19. And so you need to see Jesus as being your provider. But the problem with a lot of people is this is, again, we believe in hard work. We love it. We believe in it. But I don't work for a living. (gasps) I serve God for a living. Listen, if your if your only means of survival is your employer, if you look to them as the great provision for your life, Listen, a lot of people have done that, and a lot of... Co- what if you worked for Blockbuster? Dude, you'd be begging right now. Listen, what, you, don't, you can't look to your employer or to your job as being your source of... Prov- now, that's a great channel. That's a great avenue that God does get blessing to you, no doubt about it. But they are not my provider. Jesus is my provider. The railroad does not provide for me. It's one avenue that I don't work for them. But if you do the the Fort Irwin, the Marine Bay, wherever it is you work, that's great, man. And God can use that for you. But they are not who I look to in my time of need. Absolutely not. I look to Jehovah Jireh. I look to the God that supplies all my needs. Let's look at Proverbs 10, verse 22. Amen. Amen. And so when these people shut up their mouths and, 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 and whenever they started seeing God as provider, he, he started just reining it in, man, reining in what they needed. Do you even tell God what you need or do you just sit there and complain to your friends about it? That was a big groan. Wow. All right, we're, we're getting somewhere now. We're starting, to, starting to hit the heart a little bit. All right. Well, amen. Proverbs 10, verse 22, the blessing of the Lord makes a person rich, but he adds no sorrow with it. Now, there's a lot of people that they're really rich, but they're also full of sorrow because the blessing was not from the Lord. I mean, listen, again, this is America. We could go out, we could earn money. Money, it's not that big of a deal. 
people can go earn money. You can go break your back and bust your behind and, and, and I mean, kill yourself for money. Listen, we could all do that. But who wants to do that? I don't want that. The blessing of the Lord will make a person rich. But there's no sorrow to go with it. Instead, you get joy. Who would like to not only be rich and provided for, but have joy? That sounds a whole lot better than being rich and depressed, rich and full of sorrow. And maybe you're in here today and like, man, I've I've got blessings. I've got this. I've got that. and, and, And I've got the best job. And maybe you're here today and you are rich. Good for you. That's awesome. But do you have the blessing of the Lord on it? Or are you full of sorrow? Are you full of lots of regrets and other things that come with the riches of this world? What is it? Maybe you should examine that. But have you looked to God to be your provider? Or are you still looking to Egypt and saying, man, I know they're wicked, but Pharaoh, he sure does have a lot of horses. He sure does have a lot of stakes over there at the palace. He sure does have a whole lot of this. Listen, examine it. Who's your provider? Who is it? Back in September of last year, I decided to kind of start challenging myself in the arena of my faith. And so I decided, you know what? I make a certain amount, okay? I'm a salaried employee, but on top of that, I pretty much I need an extra amount uh, this month, Lord. And so I challenged myself, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell God each month, the extra amount that I need to make up the difference and I'm going to let him provide it and I'm not going to tell him how to do it. I'm not going to, I'm just going to let him provide it. Maybe that'll mean he opens up doors for me to do different things, whatever I can go earn it. I don't care, but God's going to provide the needs. And so that first month, September, I said, God, I need an extra $400 this month to kind of put me ahead a little bit, $400. And through various means by the end of September, 800 extra dollars had come in and I'm like, Wow, that was cool. Let's do that again. And so the next month, it happened again in October. Then in November, I said, God, I need $400 uh, for the month of November to help push me to be. Somebody comes up to me on a Sunday night at church and said, God told me to give you some money. I was like, okay, that's cool. God bless you. And the Lord told me a very specific amount, the person said. And I don't know if this, I don't, I'm just going to give it to you. And if it means anything, just let me know. So I go home from church that night. Brother pulls into my driveway, hands me $400. Does this mean anything? Yes, it does. Thank you. Have a nice day. (laughs) I I get it, man. And so I'm just telling you, God will get it to you. But the problem is you have not because you ask not. You're begging Egypt when you should just be telling your father. Why are you going to beg those fools when your father is the Almighty? When your father is the one that has all the resources in this world, man. He makes his streets out of gold. And you're asking these guys? That makes no sense to me. You need to turn to God and let him be your provider. Quit looking to this world as your source of provision. Jesus said in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He, said, he didn't say, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things that you need if you beg, and if you work an extra hundred hours, and just give up your kids to the system, then praise God, you'll have all, all these things that you need. They'll be, they'll be earned unto you. No, he said, Seek me first and my righteousness, and I'll give it to you. The New Living Translation literally says he'll give you all you need. If you seek the kingdom of God first, and that's the great thing about a father, I'm a father, I have four kids. I don't make them beg me for basic life necessities. There's never been one day. My oldest will be turning nine next week. Not one day that he's ever had to come in. Please provide dinner tonight, father. Please, I beseech thee. We are hungry and starving, dad. Please, oh, if it be thy will, let us eat today. If they did that, I'd probably spank him. I'd probably be, shut up, man. What's your problem? I'm your dad. Don't beg me for food. I provide it, dude. It's what I do. It's what happens. But a lot of us, we see God as being this, if it be your will, Lord, let the kids eat dinner tonight. And, and just if we could get gas in the tank to get to work. And if, oh, Lord, please. Why, listen, why are you doing that? Get up. Quit looking stupid. Quit acting like that. Quit begging your father for basic necessities. You want to beg your father to, to, that's, that's bogus. That makes no sense at all. Why are you begging? He's a good father. 
And even he even said, if, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven take care of all your needs? And so if you don't make your kids beg for food and air and, and, you know, a roof over their head, why should you beg God for that? That's not his will. He said, Seek me first in my righteousness and I'll give you what you need. You don't beg me. You don't have to go out and break your back and fall off a cliff for it. Just I'll give it to you. I'll give you all you need. What if we got this revelation? What if we started seeing who the great I am really, truly is? I think it would change a lot of Christians' lives if they realized all that God truly is in their life. And, we, and, and, and once you get a revelation, every single area that you turn to the world to for help, God can, God can take care of that a thousand times better if you'll just see Him and receive Him into your life as that. He will fill every void. And the third thing we're going to say today is this. Quit turning to Egypt for fulfillment. Quit going back to Egypt trying to find fulfillment. The more you go, the more empty you feel. Every human heart, I see it this way, I I, I see every human heart is a puzzle. And there's a missing piece, right? Maybe you've heard this. But guess what? That missing piece is not the shape of Egypt. It's the shape of God Almighty. It's the shape of our Heavenly Father. And you're going, you're trying to fill, you're trying to fill the void with Egypt. You're trying to, maybe this will fill it. Maybe this will take care. But you will never be fulfilled until you truly let God come in and fill that void. And I, again, everyone's going to sit here and say amen because it's the right thing to say. You're sitting in church. We'll make fun of you if you don't say it. But truthfully, don't just say, well, that's right, man. God's going to be everything. You've got to let him fulfill. He's going to be your source of fulfillment. Wrap your mind around this for a minute. Wrap your heart around it. Now, a lot of you in here, a lot of us, a lot of, a lot of people everywhere, Jesus, no doubt about it. He's their Savior. They, they're for sure going to heaven, no doubt about it. But Jesus is not their Lord. Maybe you're here today, and no doubt about it, you have received Jesus as Savior, but it would be a lie for you to say, He's my Lord, because He's not your Lord. You still call all the own shots in your life. You still make all the decisions. You still decide what everything, what you, you don't even ever consult Him on what to do. He's not your Lord, don't lie. You love Him, He's your Savior, but you are your own Lord. You direct all of your own steps. You call all the shots. You decide what you're going to do. You decide this. You decide that. You look to them for provision. You look to them for help. But you don't look to him. He's your savior. You're going to heaven. I'm not saying you're not. But he is not your Lord. Quit lying to yourself. He's not your Lord until you start submitting to him and saying, listen, you tell me what to do and I will do it. Even if I don't want to do it. Even if it's a lot harder than my way, I will do what you say to do. That's the point where Jesus becomes your Lord when you start letting him control and call the shots in your life. But until then, he is not your Lord and you are not a disciple. Praise God. We love you. He loves you. But it's just a fact of the matter. You'll go to heaven, but it's a whole lot better to be able to have heaven here on earth when you choose to make Jesus your Lord and not just your Savior. You don't have to have a miserable existence every day until you die. That's not the will of God. He has better for you. So why are you looking to some guy to fulfill that place in your heart, ladies? Fellas, fellas, why do you think some pretty girl is going to come in and make you feel fulfilled? That's a good part. I mean, hey, that's a good part of it. I, I'm very, I love my wife and, I, and, and it's awesome. She's the best thing ever. But she can't fill the place of Jesus in my heart. Only Jesus could do that. And a lot of people, they're trying, there's that hole. They're trying, man, if I could just get with this guy, woo, I'd feel better. No, you wouldn't. You'd be worse off because he's a knucklehead. Does it? Listen, knuckleheads make life worse. They never make it better, even if they're good looking. Take that for what it's worth. You have a beautiful knucklehead, but she will destroy your life. All right. And so you're trying to find fulfillment through human beings. Human beings were not created to give you fulfillment. Jesus, God Almighty, the Holy Spirit, God is the source of fulfillment. 
Hebrews chapter 11. Let's check this out. Hebrews 11. Who's tired of Egypt, man? Yeah. I'm not going back there ever again. Crazy over there. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through 27. Now, this is the New Testament recounting the story of Moses and the great faith it took for Moses to do what he did. Because you realize that Moses was an adopted grandson of the king. He grew up there in Pharaoh's house. Because, well, maybe you don't know the story, but uh, when Moses was born, there was a hit out on all the Jewish boys, all the Jewish babies. They're killing them off, man. And so his parents, they're like, there's something special about this kid. They put him in a basket, right? And they float it down the Nile River. And, uh, and, and as we know, Pharaoh's daughter is out there and she sees this basket and, and she takes in this little Jewish boy, this little baby, and raises him as her son. So Moses, though he is full-blooded Hebrew, he is raised in the Egyptian palace. And I mean, this is it's just crazy what God did here. But God will do some pretty amazing things to, to rescue his people. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. And so he's like, I'd rather be with the people of God. I, even though they're out there getting beat, even though they're out there, they're not, they're not living the dream right now. But I'd rather be with them than with Egypt. I am sick of this sin. I am sick of this wickedness. I am done with Egypt. And so he gave up the royal palace to go out. And be with the people of God and live with them. Verse 26, he thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking ahead to his great reward. Wow. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt. But I know a whole lot of people that they, they will not suffer for the sake of Christ. Even, and it's minuscule compared to what Moses suffered. But they'd rather have the treasures of this world. You kidding me? Turn down overtime on a Sunday to go to church? You're crazy! It's double time, man. Alright, man. Guess what? The blessing of the Lord, it'll make a person rich, but there's no sorrow with it. Drop that one there. Just mull that one over. Mull it. Mull it over. Because I'm telling you right now, check it out. The blessing of the Lord, it'll make you rich, but he has no sorrow to it. And Moses said, he left the palace to go suffer. He's like, I'd rather suffer. I'd rather get beat with the godly people than own the treasures of the wicked people of Egypt. Man, I wish some people had that attitude in 2018. Verse 27, it was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. I love oxymoron of that statement. How do you keep your eyes on the one who is invisible? How do you stare at something that's invisible? Well, people of faith understand that statement. That doesn't sound weird to me at all. That's what we live our lives as, keeping our eyes on someone that we've never even seen. And so I've never seen you, but I trust you and I know that you are my provider. I'm going to you for advice. Lord, counsel me. Tell me what to do right here. I'm going to you to be my source of fulfillment. That doesn't sound crazy to me. It sounds crazy to me to turn to some guy or to some job or some place to try to be your provider or your fulfillment. That sounds nuts, man. That's insanity right there. But Moses, he chose the harder way. And I think a lot of times in our modern age, the reason we turn to Egypt is because it's real easy. It is super easy to turn to them. It's everywhere we go. Man, if I need answers, I can pull my phone out and I can Google stuff, right? Answers, man, instantly. The information, the technology, we can go earn money, we can go do this, we can go do that. We are surrounded by the world like people have never been surrounded before. Because we invite Egypt, we invite the world into every nook and cranny of our lives. 
You go to bed looking at your phone. You go to, you wake up looking at your phone. You go, you, you do this, you do that. You can't eat dinner with your family without looking at your phone, without studying the news, without looking at this and that. And it's all over the place. And so it is easier now than it has ever been to turn to Egypt than before, right? Am I right? Or am I making that up? It's easy, man. I mean, listen, you got a headache. It's really, I'll just, hey, go, go, go do a couple of Tylenol. And that's nothing wrong with that, man. But the problem is a lot of people, they can't pray for healing from a headache, let alone if a major catastrophe came into their lives, because it is so easy to get instant help and instant results. And because of that, a lot of us, we just assume that Christianity is an easy life to live. And I'm just, it's easy to become a Christian, but I'm just, I'm not going to lie to you any longer. It is not always easy to live the Christian life. It's not always easy to live the Christian life the way that Jesus intended it to do. And a lot of people, they're looking for a quick ride. They're looking for the quick pass. They're looking for the freeway. They're looking for the easy path. And I'll tell you, this is the fulfilling one, and this is the right one, but it is not the easy path. Jesus himself said in Matthew 7, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult. It's a difficult road and only a few will ever find it. Well, I thought it was easy, man. I thought that I just, you know, could just... Keep on doing what I want to do, man. Sleep with who I want to sleep with. Smoke it and do this and that. And, and a man, just live how I want to live. Not really. Not really if you want to receive the kingdom of God into your life. It doesn't work that way. There are some things as a Christian that you choose to give up. Am I right? There are some things that we say, you know what? I know everyone else is doing that, but... I'm not going to do that. Uh, that's not for me. You guys, you go ahead, but I'm not, I'm not going to be doing that. And there's some things as a Christian that we, but we'd rather have the treasures of Egypt than even take five seconds of being made fun of for being a Christian and saying no. Uh, listen to me. And Katie was laughing about this the other day. I'm fine with being made fun of. I don't care. I don't care, man. Make fun of me all day long. I don't care, but I'm still not going to smoke it. I'm still not going to go look at that girl. I'm still not going to go mess with this. I'm not touching Egypt, man. Make fun of me until you die, but I'm not doing it. No way. Not going to do it. There's a lot of sorrow that goes with that. And sometimes the Christian road is a little difficult because we do without some things that everybody else says that you have to have. Oh, you got to You got to live with her. You got to sleep with her before you get married. People make fun of me. We were 19, and I actually I was 18, and I had a job. That's a big thing. That's a good thing right there. But I had a job, and so I go out. I saved up my money, and I buy this engagement ring. I pay cash for it, and I get down on one knee, and I say, will you marry me? And so I proposed, and of course, she about fainted because, come on. <laughs> Hello? Beautiful <laughs> mm. So anyway, I go, I go to work, I go to, that's not funny, I, I'm stunned that people laughed at that, but anyway, so I go to work the next day, and, and I'm like, hey everybody, I got engaged, I'm going to get married, and people are like, ah! oh! women were screaming, men were passing out, falling, and pulling me to the side, get over here, now, what's, what's wrong with you, man, what are you, t- I thought, it, what happened to congratulations? Dude, have you ever even slept with this girl? No. Why would I? The Bible says that that's... No, that's not what... I'm a, I'm a Christian. I am too. I go to this church, but you're a fool, man. How do you know you're even compatible, man? You're going to buy the cow without testing the milk or what? I mean, I've told people... I've, I've delivered the news of relatives' deaths to people. I've told people... Your loved one died. I'm sorry. And I have never got a more horrific response than when I told people I was marrying a girl that I had not been intimate with. People were stunned, floored, like, dude, no, we've got to talk you out of the women. Were, I'm, I'm not making this up. People were screaming because I was 18. And, and I'm like, what? 
well, let's examine your life, buddy. So how many times have you been married? Four? Okay. Um, did you test the milk first? Like, uh, I don't... I, I don't want the, and here we are, 14 years later, 14 years, and she still, is, she loves it. <laughs> I don't know. What's up with that? But never did test the milk. We just got married, never lived, never spent one night together before we said I do, and it's worked out in a miraculous way. Why is that? Because it was God's way, not Egypt's way. And so Jesus said in Matthew 16, Jesus told his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. So you got to start doing things my way. And so that's what I'm saying. Jesus is not your Lord until he's actually your Lord, and quit looking for the cheap and easy way to salvation. Quit looking for the cheap and easy way to have the blessings of heaven. Most people want a cheap and easy way to fulfillment. But it doesn't work that way. And so they start, Egypt will tell you, you smoke this, man, you're going to feel great. You, you get with that girl, man, every guy in here will tip their hat to you. You do this, you do that, you are going to be, and that's not fulfillment. Do you realize how, what a trap that is? Do you realize what sorrow goes with that? But Jesus said, my way, it may not make much sense right now. And I'm going to tell you, there are some difficult, it's not always the easiest way, but it's always the best way. If you'll just take up your cross, if you'll lay down your ways and do it my way, it's going to turn out so much better. And I was thinking of it this way. I got this picture I found. Go ahead and put that up there. Of this little girl, she's holding this little bear that she, she, she loves it. And Jesus is saying, just trust me because he's got something so much better that she can't even see yet. And I know so many people, man, maybe somebody this world gave you something and you're like, but I love this. I don't want to give this up. And he's saying, trust me, just give it to me. Because I've got something so much better than what they gave you over there in Egypt. Man, I've got something from heaven right here for you. But a lot of us are like, no, I, I want this. And I, you don't have to do this. Nope, nope, nobody can force you to do anything. But I am just throwing it out there today. What if it is the time in your life, even if you've gone to this church your whole life, even if you I mean, you're a Christian and nobody doubts it. But what if today's the day that you truly start saying, no, Jesus, from now on, you really are Lord. You really are. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to give up this little bit that I have. And I'm just going to trust that you're going to come in and give me what you have. I'm going to quit turning to this world to meet my needs. I'm going to quit turning to them to fill voids in my life that they were never created to fill. I'm going to quit turning them for counsel when they're more screwed up than anybody. I'm going to start looking to you. I'm going to start going to heaven instead of going to Egypt. Do you think that you would regret that? Do you think Moses regretted? Do you think, do you think all the people that I've never for one second regretted doing things God's way because it's always turned out better, even if it was a little bit more difficult, even if it kind of took a a little bit of a out of the way path. I don't care. It's always turned out better. Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction, narrows the way that leads to life. It's difficult and only a few ever find it, but it leads to life. And so just look at your life. That's all I'm asking. Just look at your life and say, man, am I turning to Egypt for my help or am I turning to God? And if so, it's up to you, man. Keep, keep going to them if you want to, but there's going to be a lot of sorrow with it. It's not going to be worth it in the end. I promise you that. Or you could say today, you know what? I'm turning to Jesus from now on. I am turning to the one that loved me enough to die for me and save me, not the people that would kill me if they had the chance or if somebody paid them to. Listen, today's the day to make Jesus Lord and quit going back to Egypt. There's nothing there for you. Leave it all behind. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand up together today. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.